In this discussion, we will consider the importance of student and staff well-being in schools and the role of personal and professional development and safeguarding in supporting well-being. We'll also discuss practical and actionable strategies for ensuring online safeguarding based on regional and cultural background differences, including some of the biggest risk trends around student and staff well-being in schools today. I'm delighted to be joined by my by my guests today from different regions around the world. It'd be great to do a quick introduction of everybody. Um, so based on, on where you're located on my screen, Richard, do you want to, do you want to go first? Well, yeah, I'm Richard Palmer. I'm a co-director of Comedian PDE with Angela. Brilliant. Thanks, Richard. Aparna? Hi, yeah, um, I'm Aparna. I'm currently the deputy head at UWC Adriatic in Italy, um, and I'm essentially responsible for pastoral care and well-being and safeguarding at the college. Thanks, Aparna. Olivia? Uh, hi, my name is Olivia, and I'm working at Fotchalpins Institute for Tan, a school in Switzerland that's running a 12-week outdoor education and personal development program for Dulwich schools from Asia. Thanks, Olivia. And Nick? I'm Nick Belcher, um, Hull School Deputy Head for 2,800 pupils at the British School of Bahrain and soon to be Principal at Singapore for the past. Brilliant. And last but not least, Angela. Hi, I'm Angela and I'm co-director of Chameleon PD, alongside Richard. Brilliant. Great to have you guys all on the call. Um, so my, my first question, um, looking really broadly here, sort of high level, high level look at this. Why is student and staff well-being so important in schools? Um, and what does well-being more broadly mean to, to each of you? Who'd like to get started on that one? I can start. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, when I when I think about well-being, I'm essentially thinking about it being directly linked to making responsible life choices, uh, both for students and for staff, certainly for students. Um, and, you know, it's it's more like, I look at it as three concentric circles. And when I look at well-being, for me, it's what do you do to look after yourself? What do you look, do to look after each other? And what do you do to look after the world? Uh, and there's sort of a constant dynamic relationship between these three circles and essentially at the center of that is making good choices and making responsible life choices um so that's that's my sort of nutshell um definition perhaps i quite like the idea of concentric circles that you're talking about it's, it's kind of i think as well-being has moved on through the years it's becoming less of an understanding of what i need or what my like, individual people need it's more about what they can do to raise impact on other people around them or the effects mm. of what how they address certain things that has an impact on other people um i think particularly you know we're talking about why is it so important to schools i think that's developed as well slightly in terms of the obviously awareness has been increased since the the pandemic but also it's the initial reactionary measures that we now that we were taking, but now actually it's created an awareness about the proactive things that were happening prior to the pandemic that people are now saying, oh, you were doing that? Yeah, yeah, we were doing that. Right, okay, so now how now how, how do we get involved in that to make sure that everybody is? I think, as we know, on international schools, we know that staff talk to one another and they're always really interested to know how other schools are managing their staff body as well, um, as, as well as students. Students have always spoken to each other about what's going on in other schools and yeah. there's always that element of grass being greener at the other school because, oh, they get to do this because they have that, that different opinion about what their school's doing. Um, so, yeah, I think that increased awareness has been, been really, really great. 
um, in terms of what well-being means. And now people are progressing into understanding how they can impact on others um, with their well-being as well. Yeah. I, I think from listening to what you both said, um, um, for Richard and I, we are, we are in a position of um, advocating to schools often what we see as um, good well-being being, mm. uh, and supporting them with that. The great thing coming from both of you is how well embedded you appear to have it in your mm. settings. Um, because traditionally, um, Richard and I have seen the, the whole well-being agenda in schools sometimes a little bit siloed as if it's just something that sits on its own as opposed to you know, like with the concentric circles or just being, you know, the responsibility of everybody in the, the staff and student body within a setting. So so great to hear that that embedded um, view of, of well-being and how beneficial that can, can make your settings. Um, yeah. Go on, Olivia. <laughs> um, no, <you're> right. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think one of the challenges I found over the last sort of five years in moving and looking for schools that suit me as a teacher is avoiding schools that don't have it uh, integrated in their daily uh, practice. And so that means I'm not a well, I like, I'm a maths teacher, I'm not a wellbeing teacher. So really trying to work with staff and, and, um, the school community around understanding that in maths when you're problem solving that's a well-being skill you know that's a life skill and so um, we talk uh, I talked a lot about taught and court curriculum so we have our taught curriculum which might be in a period I'm really lucky I have five periods a week with my students at the moment for well-being um, so that's like your explicit science of well-being looking at perma h plus the classic um, you know, respectful relationships, drugs and alcohol and all of that kind of thing. Um, but then you've got your core curriculum, which is your student leadership, your experiential learning, um, the conflict in science about who's sitting next to who and really empowering staff to be able to manage those situations and for them to understand what wellbeing is means that we can draw across it in all of our classrooms and that it's a more powerful movement of students understanding and being empowered um, to take control of their own well-being, I guess. Um, and it's really important to me. I think um, I, I, I could, it's become my mantra, I think, that when students and staff feel safe, valued and respected, they're more likely to make risks, they're more likely to face failure, um, they're more likely to take big leaps into the unknown um, and then be able to kind of recover if it doesn't go very well. So um, I'm quite vocal at school around it not just being a standalone thing, um, and really working with staff and parents to have a good understanding of the fact that it's integrated in everything. I think that explicitness when you're saying about it being, you know, that explicit, people are looking for it particularly. And I think mm -hmm. moving, it's almost, there's that there's that danger in education where well-being becomes the trite word, the same as yeah. various of words that we've seen. And so I quite like the idea of it being a court curriculum or a court mm -hmm. understanding that because I think very often when you have staff complaining um, about well-being within schools and actually it's a case of well what is their understanding of what well-being is and and what do we want what's our vision for well-being we can make it as explicit as you as you want but if somebody isn't feeling like it's a factor that's affecting them then actually that the the, the understanding of well-being kind of dwanes a little bit mm -hmm. and so what we're 
what we're definitely trying to capture is that embedding, that kind of keeping it with core curriculum going, oh yeah, no, well, this links to how our emotions are feeling. This links to this particular directive within our curriculum that we're doing, or this links to what we're trying to impress on the students. And that links then to our own well-being. And that, I think that's a really, really good positive way of putting it, that Olivia put it in terms of making it explicit, but then actually moving away from giving it a title and giving it that 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 um, label, for want of a better word, and actually saying, what is it? And, and what what are the traits of it? And that, that becomes really, really important. And I think another thing that was really powerful for me and um, my understanding of it, I think I'd never really sat very well in the traditional model of education um, and then I went to a positive education conference about eight years ago in Hong Kong and um, they talked about this idea that um, it's all about the policies and the procedures and it's about the environment and it's about the social norms of the school and then the people as well and if you've got those four things interacting together um, and that they're based on trust and forgiveness and they're based on um, embracing the environment and like I live on the side of a mountain so if I'm not doing a reflection where we're looking out of the mountains and doing a bit of gratitude um, then I think I'm missing an opportunity to use my environment um, but you know that that um, that we're living and breathing well-being in our school all the time and I think um, that it's a really powerful thing to show that to the students that it doesn't have to be something fancy or something you know like this kind of Piece, another piece of the puzzle that we try and shove in every day because it's there already. It's just really about making the connections for our community. Yeah. And do you? Sorry, I was going to say, sorry, in, in all your skills, <laughs> do you? Um, you know, given you have very positive views about well-being and the importance of it, do you feel that um your staff are are on board with this messaging, or is there there any kind of um sort of variation across the? <laughs> Yeah, look, so I'm I'm in an EIM school now and I have been for a while. I took a three-year hiatus and went back to my uh, home country. So, um, and I know that the pandemic um, has changed schools and, and whatnot. Um, I would say across the board, there are some teachers um, in any schools who are on board with that message. And then there are others who are flatly refusing that they are a wellbeing teacher. And look, I, I tend to fall into a bit of a stereotype here. I'd say a maths teacher and a science teacher are often the ones that I have the most uh, kind of discussions around the power of their subjects in that way. But I do know some English teachers who um, who can't see that empathy in novels and that kind of thing is a wellbeing lesson. So I think in any, teachers are either on board or they're not. Um, and that comes back to recruitment. I know that in um, a school previously, we talked a lot about the power of the wellbeing teacher in the morning or the form teacher in the morning. And if a teacher isn't aware that they're going to have that job, when they come to the school um, and what that role is for uh, the morning or the classes that they look after, then um, then we're failing at recruitment in that way. So, you know, they need to know what that means and what it's going to look like when they come in because it's an important role um, just as much as their subject is. Mm. I think it comes down to comfort. I, there's an element of... There's an element of I know when I first started out in teaching, I, I almost made an excuse for my empathetic approach and in, in saying, you know, and I, I described myself as being a fluffy teacher. So, so, you know, at a certain point, you know, oh, I come with that fluffy trend. And I think certainly, you know, my background is it, it working in various different schools and different genres of schools, including challenging um, schools. And again, you, that 
I was really, really grateful for those opportunities because they they built on that fluffiness. <laughs> and you saw it coming by and going, okay, right. And then suddenly this this whole trend of well-being suddenly hit. And I was going, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> this is what we've been doing for a while. And so suddenly you're saying to, saying to teachers, no, we want you to 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 be open about about talking about your emotions. We want you to be open about talking about student struggles. We want you to be open about discussing and, and preparing yourselves to have these conversations with students. And suddenly you get generations of teachers and various experiences of teachers saying, oh, we're not all that comfortable. We just do what we do. And I said, that's fine. That's okay. You don't need to change anything that you're doing right now. You just need to make sure you are a really good listener. You need to make sure that you are not not um, running away from some of these opportunities to have further discussions with students. And yeah, it's um, I think it definitely comes down to teacher comfort and and confidences and and giving teachers the the ability to to use that and not labeling them as the the fluffy teacher <laughs> or allowing them to self label either. Yeah. <laughs> or the or the teachers that say, "Oh, I'm not a well being teacher at all. This is my area." I yeah. think the other thing that's really important with that is it comes back to school policies so that teachers know what to do if a student discloses or shares something and that they have confidence with, one, how to um, interact with the student in the moment, but then also where to take it once that's happened, um, whether it be a small or a big disclosure. And I know that um, that's one of the things we've done a lot of work with teachers with um, over the years to sort of build up, again, that confidence and to empower teachers to be able to handle those big moments um, mm. yeah, where it's it really to a worrying stage. It's really reconciling between the individual and the collective, right? I mean, the, the individual self-care and, and looking after yourselves and building resilience and building empathy. And then as a collective, as a school, what are systems that uh, or cultures that are being created around well-being and around uh, community care, uh, really, that allow for the individual to sort of fit in and, and seek support, not just sort of by looking after themselves, but also seeking support within the wider community. Uh, and just going back to Angela's question, uh, at a college like ours, it's a small, it's a small high school. We're only a community of about 250 uh, students and adults, and everyone plays a role in pastoral care, and everyone plays a role in well-being, and uh, and that is part of our recruitment strategy. And when you come to work at a UWC, you're not just a math teacher or an English teacher, but you are really an educator who's supporting students holistically across. Uh, across really challenging situations, also given the profile of our students. And if you have a student who's from Sudan and currently the situation in Sudan is, South Sudan is such, or you have students coming in from, as a refugee um, student, the challenges are real, you know, and the kind of support that they need is, is very real. So uh, it cannot be just upon one psychologist or one counselor at the college to, support that mm -hmm. student because the student is engaging in multiple things at the college and everyone needs to be uh, available and in tune with the kind of support they need. So um, so I, for me, I really see it as, as a reconciliation between the individual and the collective and how they're sort of seeking support from each other uh, really. I think historically, if you look at what teachers in education education was before we started categorizing things was that actually you know going back historically if you go even just to to the war students coming into a classroom that hadn't been fed or students that were coming into the classroom 
you know, under some kind of neglect, it would be a teacher's automatic thing to make sure that they're looking after that child. You know, this and this is why across the UK and it varies different places, if you have a child that comes into your classroom that hasn't been fed quite often, it would be very rare to not find a teacher that has a bag of cereal bars at some point stashed into their into their cupboard to, to hand those out. And that's the first step of well-being that that has never been. It's just been doing teachers doing what teachers do. Um, I think teachers are so used to as well giving the answers or they're, they're so trained to guiding exploration that actually sometimes because of their safety and their subject knowledge, when something comes up that's a slightly away from their curriculum or slightly away from what they're doing, actually it takes them a little while to retake on those concepts and retake on that there's that area of going okay how am i going to address this and also it causes frustration for teachers to a certain extent on the well-being because they're wanting to provide the answer they're wanting to fix the situation for that particular child or particular staff member and i think that's something that's really important as well is that we often talk about the teacher and student relationship. Well, actually, it's the teacher and teacher relationship, heads of department, yeah. heads of year. As Without looking at the SLT and leadership style side of things, it's, it's people looking after people and identifying, identifying students. And students are coming into classes and saying, actually, that teacher was a bit, look, look at that, they're having a bad day that day. And, and actually, their friend or their peer or their colleague stepping in and just checking everything was okay with them really really comes from it's just being that that vocational aspect which again just to touch really really lightly pandemic took that that away because everybody suddenly went into solitude and their their main role was to sit behind a screen give answers try and manage the pastoral side of things as best as what they could and put implement strategies but actually their ultimate ways was learning and making sure that learning was 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 introduced by giving those answers and, and making sure there were from contact so yeah, it kind of finds that blurred line between um, what the vocation of a teacher is and reminding ourselves that this is what education is. It's about developing whole child and it, not just academics. Yeah, and, and sales. I mean, some of the, the some of the CPD that we deliver, um, one of the most sort of common areas that we get asked about is that whole managing um and the answering of questions, particularly around some of the PSHE areas. Um, so, so lots of the strategies that we tend to share with teachers and encourage them to share with each other is, you know, you don't have to have the answer to everything. You can you can take time and, and go back and come, you know. So, so it's interesting that, um, you know, teachers very often do feel that right at that moment, second, they have to have the perfect answer to everything. Um, yeah. which is, is you know, it's is maybe a little struggle to move away from, from that um, when a lot of your, your work and your, maybe your more sort of core subject areas is about providing knowledge and answers to everything. And, and of course, in the whole world of wellbeing, there's not necessarily answers to everything that, mm -hmm. that we're discussing. All the answers change over time, which we're finding a lot at the moment, so... That leads so emotion. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Nick. Oh, sorry, Nick. Yeah. I was just going to consider consider the next question with regards to you know what you touched on there, Angela, with um, personal um, development, uh, PSHE as well. So my next question would be, you know, what what role does personal and professional development and and safeguarding as well? Obviously, safeguarding is a major player in this as well. Um, play in student and staff well-being. So considering personal, professional development, and safeguarding with regards to student and staff well-being. Yeah. 
I think there's still a big gap um, in initial teacher education around this whole agenda. I think we're getting better um, at, at doing that. I was really heartened to hear that you've all got really good um, sort of induction processes in your school. Um, not every school actually has that, of course, but um, I think we are getting better, but there are gaps um, in terms of um, helping new teachers understand that their role isn't just about a subject, it's actually much broader and wider, it's everything we've been saying really. Um, so in the, while we're waiting for our initial teacher education to catch up, I think I think it's uh, important for schools to to have those induction processes in place and regular CPD around uh, around the wellbeing agenda because it, but it's that's a challenge in itself because uh, you know there's the very very limited time for CPD. So, but I think we are seeing certainly Andrew and I with the schools we're working with more emphasis being put on uh, teacher CPD for for that wellbeing um, element. Um, and, and also obviously safeguarding is a statutory duty, but um, we're also seeing CPD linking between the wellbeing curriculum, but also what the responsibilities are for safeguarding. So so it, it, it's a slow shift, but I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, mm. uh, I mean, what, one of the big concerns that, that we get a lot from teachers, and again, it seems as if you're taking the opposite approach on this one, is, is almost being a little bit afraid to ask questions in case there's a disclosure. Whereas mm -hmm. each of you have quite clearly already expressed how important it is to make a, you know, to, to, to make a safe environment where there, there is comfort for, for young people to make disclosures. Um, so, so, I mean, I think some of that safeguarding responsibility is very closely linked to whatever you're doing around student voice. Um, so, you know, whether it's within your within your lessons or if you've got other mechanisms in place to gather data, um, it's it's just sort of making sure that there's a, a safe environment where there's there's comfort around um, disclosure should should those need to occur. Um, but but that's something that often we're finding schools in the UK, they can be a little bit afraid of asking the questions. I think I think we've kind of we, we've reached almost like a saturation point of knowledge and understanding within the school of, of how well-being works and, and in terms of that empathetic approach, in terms of saying that the best thing that you could ever, ever do is just be a listener. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, in, if, if for emotional situations, on a personal level, you want people just to check in and say, are you okay? On a personal level, you don't want them to try and give you the solutions to whatever you're going through, but you want to be listening to what they're saying so that you can just allow them a sounding board to work out a pathway. And quite often you'll end up with a conversation, not say anything. And so we go, thanks for giving me the answer and off they go. And you go, okay, right, brilliant. <laughs> I didn't say anything. But what we're now at the stage of is because we've become so good at doing that and it's become such a normal routine, like what Olivia was saying, it's just embedded, it's just part of what you do. There is this now that, that, that other side of thing of where the safeguarding is. Students are really, really keen now to come and talk about anything and everything. And so now we're on to almost like that, that next level of, of, of what, how prepared are we for those things? So as a school for, in terms of staff development, we've started we're putting uh, mental health first aid training that that's coming into place soon because that's almost like our reaction round to this point of we can oh, we can talk so much time around 
how comfortable we are within that. But actually, now let's see how we can look at ways of addressing individual individual mm-hmm. um, aspects or categories that are, that are arising. Um, and I'm quite I'm I'm, I'm quite um, happy that we've, we've moved in that way because it does show that you can step up a little bit more um, and that we can learn more and that, that's you know again it's what education is about it's about learning more how do we deal with these processes to deal with them in a better way to assist the students in as, as best a way as we can and put them first um, so yeah and actually student voice is coming up so much more and, and students are coming up with their own solutions to to well-being as well and there's various different things that we've, we've put in place or that I'd like to say we haven't put in place, the students have, have put in place. Um, you know, there was, we've just recently had a great thing on misogyny from a, a girl up group that suddenly went, you know what, we're hearing this 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 general talk and, of course, from um, fairly vocal public figures that, that some of the boys are picking up on. And, um, you know, it's, and they suddenly said as a reaction to that, okay, let's make sure this doesn't happen to make sure that these students don't go in with, alongside those opinions. So then they've taken it to the students rather than taking it to the boys and saying to them, look, don't be, don't be following this. This is really, really wrong. They've started exploring, you know, what, what are these conversations that you're having amongst each other? How are those conversations that you're having with your, your female friends? How are these conversations that you're having with your parents? And that's been really, really enlightening. And as teachers, all we've needed to do is be there and supervise and guide as opposed to instruct. And that's been something that's really, really clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I was going to say the feedback we get time and time again from students, because we we run this student voice survey, and we've got about 14,000, 15,000 responses. Um, so they're, they they want to discuss more than anything. They want to discuss stuff. They don't want to be writing it down. And so, no. so it's, you know, it, it's coming up with their own solutions. Um, and we, you know, We've seen there's, there's there's lots of focus often on knowledge base and content, even within you know within PSHE, but moving towards like developing solutions around mm-hmm. whatever the issues are, um, often which will come from their own discussion. Is I think you're absolutely right. That's the that's the kind of direction of travel that we should all be taking. Yeah, I I was I was also just going to add that. Uh, besides mental health and well-being and, and sort of training in that area, another big area of work that I see is as crucial as is sensitivity training, uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of the I mean, schools are diverse communities, most of us. Uh, and we have students from different racial, ethnic backgrounds, different gender identities. And uh, and as adults, we need to do a lot of unlearning and, and relearning ourselves with regards to how we uh, engage with these students because they are they are well read and and they know what they need and they know what they want and uh, for us to sort of match up to 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 their needs is mm-hmm. uh, is crucial and uh, how schools facilitate that sort of training uh, for staff members is also really important in ensuring that all our students are equally supported and we're not sort of using just one lens to well being but a more uh, a diverse lens to it. I think I've learned so much from students. I think that that's it during this time. Like, absolutely learned so much. You know, there's, there's re- there was the recent um, publication about Aglo speak and and having to learn a completely new vocab that, that's been used. And I've to the point of where I've, I've kind of geeked out on it a little bit. And by the side of my desk, hidden, I've kind of got this Aglo speak on the side because I'm looking out for various things like that. And so, it's it's one of those things that 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 kind of 
that, that kind of they're they're influenced by, but they're also reacting to, and and that's yeah. some that it's, it's it's making sure that we're building the capabilities in students to say that's wrong, or that's right, and that's going to affect other people's well-being. That's going to affect other people's empathy. That's going to affect other people's approach and my peers' approach. I don't want to be surrounded in, in my generation by people with these viewpoints that actually our generation have had to unpack so much of as, as we've gone through as well, you know, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and, and justice that, you know, DI, EIG, that that's, that's kind of come through as well from our student body to the point of where I would, we've got a student diversity community that said, we want to write PSHE for you. We said, really? It said, yeah, no, we want to, rather than actually, you telling us what we shouldn't be doing or we should be doing through your PSG curriculum. We want to be telling you what we're hearing and addressing that within within the student body, within a safe environment of PSG. Okay, let's have a look at that because that could have gone really, really badly. And, and so, but they came through really, really sensitively, and, and they were, you know, they were tight. Our older students were looking at building these foundations with our younger students and and gradually feeding through these these ideas and what it meant to them to 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 listen to this this language so there's certainly uh, education has moved so much forward in terms of where it's less as we know less than the teacher standing at the front lecturing um, yeah. and more than the students it's, it's sometimes it quite often feels like the teachers are sitting at the desks and and the students are at the forefront as it should be yeah. because i think that's the only way to keep it current um, yeah. yeah our well-being sorry max i sorry, was just going to add yeah. to nick uh, next point that at, at our college the well-being program is run by our students um, and uh, well we call it we call it well-being and college life program uh, and it's sort of a, a, a 12 session program that's uh, co-created by our students every year along with the the psychologist and a number of uh, other teachers uh, and we felt like the effect that peer-to-peer -peer, uh, you know impact that that this program has is way better and way stronger than what it would be if a teacher was standing and you know telling mm -hmm. you about relationships and telling you about time management and so on and so forth um, so it's definitely it's a, it's, it's definitely a model that we've implemented and it's it's worked so uh, i'm really happy to hear that your students are keen on mm -hmm. doing this as well Olivia, I'd be really interested. Like, how do you your your role is obviously part of you know being outside of the classroom as well and taking things mm -hmm. out. So those conversations, you're probably you're probably going to get be getting a lot of that outside of the classroom. It's how does how does that feed into where where do you get that split between what's happening outside and in outside of the classroom and then taking that into the classroom? Yeah, I kind of, I, I feel like I'm in a really privileged position because we're with the kids for 24 hours a day. So in a day mm. school, at the end of the day, if something's gone on, they go home and then sometimes they come back for two or three days, you know, because they're feeling anxious around it or they're worried or they're just, I call it ostrich, they're sticking their head in the sand and they don't want to, they want to avoid it. Um, whereas these kids get me for a lot of their day um, mm -hmm. or one of our other really qualified staff members. So we can kind of either do something in the evening where we can work through stuff um, or I can change the wellbeing curriculum for the next week or the next day if we need to kind of look at it. So one of the things we really looked at, and I guess one of the challenges or, and one of the gifts that we have is we have kids coming to us for 12 weeks from four to six different schools. So they bring four to six different school cultures with them. 
um, and then we have to sort of create sense of belonging and connection um, really quickly. Um, and then in an intense environment, what we then expect is conflict and negotiation and how do I share my space with somebody when I'm an only child and all of that kind of thing. So we've done some really explicit teaching around culture creation and everybody's individual responsibility um, to the point where we've got like little cues that we've used, um, you know, as a reminder where I might just say in class if I'm teaching, um, you know, I do P4C as well. So um, if I'm teaching P4C lesson, I just notice something a little bit odd with, um, you know, student relationships. I might just say body language and then the whole group will kind of shift and be more inclusive in their body language. So we do get that ability to address things really instantly and we get to know kids really well so that we can um, give that individual one-to-one stuff or look at it as a whole group um, collective. So um, the other thing we've got um, sports academy teachers within our school who are incredibly talented and work with, um, you know, elite sports people and have worked with elite sports people and we can kind of bring them in for evening program activities. So visualisation or mindfulness or... um, you know, and they look at it as here are some gifts that I have to offer you um, and you can take it and use it now or you can put it in your suitcase and take it and use it in a year or three years or five years. We, we touched on some of these, the past, um, the, the, the practical initiatives that we're, that, we're, that we're each implementing in our own school settings. Um, and so just, just having a look at those PSHE um, sessions that, that each of you run in your schools. Um, yeah, considering specific strategies around that, what 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 initiatives have you implemented in your PSHE sessions um, to ensure that you're fully meeting safeguarding obligations in particular? Um, and if we could also consider um, obviously safeguarding as a whole, but then also looking at online safeguarding as well, um, and and more broadly how you've implemented that in in, in your strategic thinking for, for safeguarding, that would be great. I think that Olivia's point about having that balance between a taught a, a set curriculum obviously she teaches PSHE uh, and there's a set program but having that element of reactiveness is really crucial um because we all know that suddenly things pop up um, on a day-to-day basis and it's it's having the I think it goes back to that teacher confidence thing it's about having confidence to say you know we had a lesson plan today on x but actually we don't need to do that now we should be doing this instead um, and again, I think that's building building teacher confidence to be able to to do that. And and you know we're all under scrutiny all the time uh, in schools. And uh, you know and to have that confidence to say, okay, I'm doing this because um, and, and having a strong rationale for making those changes and being being more reactive with the PSHE curriculum, I think is really crucial. I think as well bringing that PSHE curriculum away from just being standalone subject. So, you know, it's, it's often like, you know, I think students often feel like we're going to PSHE and they already preempt what they're going to learn in PSHE. We're going to learn how to be safe in this particular, or we're going to learn about this particular. When and PSHE teachers kind of find, can find themselves in this rhetoric almost of, of just saying, you know, well, we were teaching about environment, you know, three years ago, we're now teaching about environment again. And, you know, in terms of that, and that kind of relates again to, you know, we were teaching about how to be respectful of one another. You know, we're now teaching, we should still be respectful of, of when you're... So you, you, it's it's a case of making sure that we're constantly addressing it to make it on, you know, what is current, what is going on, but also 
taking it away from that subject and referencing it as a, oh, you'll have, you'll have picked up on this in, in PSHE, but in a form time, we're actually, we're just going to explore this a little bit more. We're going to see how that affects us in this classroom. We're going to affect how it affects us as individuals in this particular set group. Or even, you know, you start, it's amazing when you can start seeing it spread into other subject areas and saying, do you know what, I'm sure you're covering this at this moment in time. Well, these people in particular history, these people were going through this at that time. How does that relate to what you've been studying in PSHE about this current time, uh, particularly, again, you know, DAIJ? And so this is where it's, it's becomes a really, really energetic and, 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 and enthusiastic um topic to talk about well-being and talk about we you know things that are coming up and rather than it just being that standalone that standalone category of we need to address this this and this and this which then of course helps hopefully would help teachers deal with the safeguarding issues that, that arise from that as well um, yeah i think embedding embedding and threading is, is always a key so one of the interesting um bits of data that we always hear about in um around online safety and um online lessons that that students receive in school they always rate them very highly and mm -hmm. so they get you know great feedback they think it's it's covered well they know what they're doing and then um some of the other data sort of contradicts that a little bit so for example we'll find that there's um you know 14 15% of them uploading an indecent image um we we'll find the the numbers um watching pornography on a regular basis is much higher than you'd probably hope for so so in terms of their understanding of what safe behavior online is um you know from what, what they think is safe and what they think they know about being safe online and then the evidence about what's really happening not everybody's getting that getting the message so so it'd be really interesting to hear how you you know what you do in terms of your your online safety um lessons and and sort of education well, more widely well we've gone 45 minutes without mentioning the p word haven't we i'm not talking pornography i mean like parents we've managed to we've managed to go 45 <laughs> minutes without doing that and so i think you know parental involvement is 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 huge and and actually we you know, as schools do a really, really good job of making sure we have a, you know, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out that includes how to behave safely online of various different aspects that are um, software and various different platforms that are, that are being used by our students to try and inform parents of this that's happening. But you're relying on parents to read it and you're relying on parents to actually not just say, well, it's the school's issue or it's the school's and, and there's so many different schools in around the world that I speak to that as are saying that they, they get a, a, a social media issue or they get a WhatsApp issue, a chat groups issue and things like that. And yet the parents are saying, well, what's the school doing about it? And and, and again, it's, it's that flip side of saying, OK, we can provide the students with the tools to negate issues such as this. We can provide students with the tools to avoid issues like that. But parents and and parents in a community aspect needs to approach needs to happen. So the ways of doing that, we 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 bring in webinars, we bring in guest speakers to speak with the parents, so that it doesn't just come from the school saying, "Parents, you need to be doing this to help us do our jobs in school." Um, but also, there's there's that element of, of 
literally talking to the parents and saying, we, we've heard that the, this is going on, we're going among us, this friendship group. Can you just build, and, and you're building that relationship with parents. And as long if we can continue to build those relationships with parents, it allows us to have similar discussions with parents, if not the same ones that we're having with the students in saying, this is this is happening. Again, we're, we're in that situation of being in international education and parental expectations and fee paying and, and, and where that happens. But at the end of the day, we are all local apprentices to this particular child. And so it's about putting everybody around that child and communicating the right information and keeping giving everybody the right tools and equipment to, to keep our children safe. Um, yeah, which isn't always easy. <laughs> I mean, the, the added complexity is some of the... Um you know, this sort of political weaponization around some of these very issues. So there's some groups of parents not wanting schools to go anywhere near some of the issues we're talking about. Um, and yet, if we don't, then there's there's a safeguarding issue. So, yeah. so you know, we're, we're in a really, really sort of tricky place at the moment um, in terms of making sure that the students are safe, but not upsetting the parents and getting your name splashed across newspaper headlines as well. Yeah. 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 And I think and the other while, part of um, Yeah, I was I was just saying that while uh, I think most of our efforts are sort of proactive, preventative ways to mitigate things like this, I think another uh, big areas perhaps also building relationships with students in a way that if something does happen or if they are a victim of online bullying and so on and so forth they feel like they can come and talk to someone at the school about it um, or some an adult uh, about it so that uh, we can do something about it to ensure that they're, they're safe and uh, whatever's happening can stop uh, so I think there's the aspect of trying to be preventative and proactive but also uh, responding in a way that doesn't uh, make the student feel fearful or threatened to seek support should something uh, happen. And I think those efforts also need to be uh, coordinated. In... And Paula, do you have some specific um, sort of insights around what you've implemented in your school with regards to that? Yeah, well, it's, it's tricky at our school in the sense that uh, we're, like I said, we're a small community. We don't, we're not a closed campus. Uh, we're, the whole village is our campus. Uh, and just, just to give you an example, one of the ways in which we communicate with students often is through WhatsApp, uh, because it's the fastest way to communicate with students and figure out where they are and call them in for a meeting or whatever that it is. Uh, but then we do at the beginning of the year spend a lot of time on acceptable ways to use WhatsApp and what's okay and what's not okay. And, um, and that's part of the education in the sense that your teachers are modeling you know, good communication, good ethical communication online and uh, and how they communicate with students, how they communicate with each other, uh, with colleagues and so on and so forth. So uh, it's tricky. I guess we do do all the things that have already been shared in terms of workshops on online safety and cyberbullying and safeguarding and so on and so forth. But in practice, it's a little more tricky. So which is why uh, I think more of our time and effort goes into the, the second bit of it, that let's build relationships in a way that if a student does find themselves in, in a sticky situation, then they feel that they have someone that they can reach out to and, and get support without the fear of being reprimanded or fear of being judged or 
whatever that is. So uh, I think a lot of our sort of time and effort goes into into that relationship building uh, rather than, you know, sort of standing there and telling them this is the right thing to do and this is not the right thing to do. So, uh, yeah. I think relationship building is so key. And, and I think that's the biggest bedrock of what we've talked about today is, is where that comes out, the different relationships and the different threads that we draw between people. And yeah. I think it's it's something, you know, it does, it does just go back to what Angela was saying, like they does, um, what should I say, those, those, those topics that are culturally political, you put it well, it, those political topics that we, we need to be, to be mindful of, actually... Yes, absolutely. In in public view and, and in in what we we rather, but there are parents are parents at the end of the day, and people are people at the end of the day. And, and having those discreet, if you've got a, a good relationship, you can have those discreet mm-hmm. conversations with parents and and to to address those those issues, just as you would in any safeguarding scenario. And 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 actually, parents are, are grateful for it in in. in 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 uh, an experience because actually there's a that originally uh, you know to start off with they'll be horrified and scared of whatever the situation is because you know there, there's their their pride and joy at the heart of this you know and um but actually those that quite often it will always come back as how grateful they were that the that, that topic was discussed with them and and a way forward to discuss it with their child and involved and again it's about putting everybody around a child that cares that, that's so important um yeah it's a uh, saying that i had a conversation with my wife just recently because my daughter is my daughter's seven and we were talking i was getting rid of a phone and i was getting rid of a phone that isn't you're not able to get whatsapp on it's just a really basic phone and i said no we'll keep that for my daughter <laughs> she's like, why it's not going no 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 I, I like the idea that she can't do anything with it <laughs> she said no but literally <laughs> she wouldn't be able to do anything with it. she's pointless she can't make a phone call with it now because <laughs> everybody uses whatsapp everybody uses it <laughs> actually you're putting her in more danger by giving her that phone i was like oh that's okay then yeah it's, um so we're back to tin can and string that's where yeah. we're going we're going to stay on that one yeah. <laughs> much safer yeah. i just wanted to say a little bit what apana said is that um, we're an educational institution, so students are going to make and going to have great exclusions and do silly things. And um, the students knowing that we're in a position for them to come to us and then what the follow-up is if they have made a mistake is really important. So mm. we tend to say that a lot uh, throughout the year so that it's an open safe space for mistakes because I think actually um, that's where they've got to learn how to fix them, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, think I do. I do think. I, I do think social media platforms need to need to help in this situation as well. Though I think they're an entity because I know when you know, Olivia talks about the silly mistakes that students make as part of growing up, and they do make silly mistakes as part of growing up. Very, very difficult once that that's gone on to things like you know Snapchat. Once it's gone on through TikTok or things like that, really, really difficult because the companies don't help you remove them. They don't help them then then get rid and actually. There is a there's a responsibility that we have in school that we uphold really really high. That actually, if we if we rang if we had a direct hotline to say we need this removed, it takes so long that the damage is 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 um, irreparable to a certain extent. So yeah, they they it is having everybody helping in that situation too. And yeah, children do make silly mistakes as do adults, and and we need to. 
yeah, put ourselves in a position where the safeguarding, when the safeguarding is it only reaches this far because it's not being reciprocated from the platforms that are being used and the the holders of those platforms, it's, it's it makes our job a lot lot harder. Some of the data we collect, um, it's really interesting because the students will say that the first form of support they will seek is with a friend. Um, so I think part of the part of our whole education around this well-being is that not only just to to support the the person who's having the issue, but actually educate their friends to say if this if mm -hmm. your friend comes to you with this particular problem, what how do you handle that? How do you look after yourself fundamentally if it was a really sort of say safeguarding issue? But then what do you actually do going forward? How do you help your friend? What sort of things can you do? Make it really practical because. Often it's like, oh yeah, teachers want to do it all, but actually the data shows that most often it's the friends that are the first point of support and contact. So we need to try and put that into into education as well. It's about knowing how to protect that friend as well. I think that yeah. that's the key. I'm mm -hmm. sure the partner Olivia are faced with this quite often where it's the friend that comes forward and says, my friend's having an issue. <laughs> Can you help? Well, yeah. yeah. So, and then it's the case, they've, and you find out that they've taken on that burden for so long. And it's about how do you safeguard that that friend and and help them negate that situation as well? Because then, of course, friends just being friends, and so you know, social this also involves other people as well usually. So this is a this yeah. is something that we need to be really mindful of. Yeah, just related to that, one of the one of the topics that that sort of come up in the last few months is uh, this this concept of snitching. So when mm -hmm. a student does come and, and share on behalf of someone else, they're suddenly the unpopular student at the college mm -hmm. and because they've now snitched and ratted out their friend. And we're also sort of actively trying to change the narrative around this and, you know, asking for help or seeking support on behalf of someone else is not snitching. And, and it is part of that larger community care and community support. So, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's been that's been a focus this term for us as well. That, and I mean, everything you're just saying fits in really well with what Nick mentioned earlier about that whole collaborative approach with students actually having a responsibility to deliver some of their own PSHE. Yeah. So, you know, the examples you're given here just, you know, they they just fit into that absolutely perfectly. Um, yeah. when we started writing materials. Um, it was in conjunction with with students. It was a sixth form students, um, and and it was with the view that they would be able to, in particular, support some of the lessons with the younger uh, children uh, down the school. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag. Whether very many schools have got the confidence and the maybe even the timetabling to be able to do that, but. You know, we would agree with you that that is an absolutely superb model to to try mm. and implement. I think previously it's been done with the older students as well. Obviously, looking at through school, mm. we're not quite prepared for. I certainly don't. I don't. I don't feel. I'm not talking in in terms of school based. I'm I'm just talking about general, generally, globally. I don't feel that we are prepared for how non-innocent or the, the lack of innocence that's around our younger students and and the the exposures that they that they're experiencing as well um because we've all we we kind of 
not I'm not selective amnesia, but you kind of go, they're, they're, they're okay. If we teach the older ones to do the right thing, then they won't get that. And actually, there's there's so much of that going on at that, that, that young age phase as well, where they're being. It's, yeah, that's um, it's a, it's a scary world. It's a very, very scary world in, in terms of that looking in and, and helping them negate that. A lot of these issues aren't going to go away that that's the key and 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 it's through you know as angela's saying through the pshe models that they're trying to put in place and the resources they're putting in place through what all our student-led stuff that's what we're trying to address but yeah that that um that that threatened innocence of our our younger students is a, is a real concern mm. yeah and that, that i mean that leads me perfectly onto onto my last question actually for today is um is considering you know all these influences kids have online, young students, young adults, um, and and making sure that they're seeing positive, strong role models in school, um, because they you know the rise of Andrew Tate and all this sort of stuff that they have just free access to without any um, filter almost through social media and, and YouTube or whatever. Um, it's ever more important, isn't it, in schools to to showcase that? So, what strategies have you each implemented in your own school settings to to showcase positive role models um, for students that are you know super young? But also, you know, maybe 16, 17 years old as well. Um, be great to hear a bit about that. Who'd like to kick that one off? Fala, do you want to go for it? <laughs> yeah, well, um yeah, I I mean, I it's it's difficult to sort of pinpoint sort of one one practice, but uh, I think a lot of our school systems or the culture within within the school is uh, is geared towards sort of this community approach to life at the college. Uh, and it's possible because it's a small community. We live together, we, you know, we share lots of spaces. Uh, we eat lunch and dinners with our students and they see us in our pajamas sometimes, you know, when the fire alarm goes off and you have to go down and switch it off or whatever that it is. So uh, I think there's, students do look up to teachers uh, in 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 multiple ways in in terms of uh, sort of role modeling good personal professional boundaries uh, how the adults are talking to each other how the adults are uh, negotiating differences between each other because just like our students we also have a very diverse uh, staff community and uh, given things in the world and politics and so on there are teachers with different opinions and different viewpoints of uh, uh, and students do like to sort of hear these viewpoints and like to see teachers engage in conversations that uh, sort of model good political discourse and, and good political discussion um, and so on and so forth. And we encourage that a lot within within the college. Uh, so I think it's sort of quite inbuilt within within the culture. Perhaps one initiative that I would like to talk about is uh, we have we have something called college councils. Uh, and these are essentially the political council, the feminist council, the well-being council, students of color association, and and one more that I can't remember, uh, the sex council. And uh, on a weekly basis, each of these councils uh, meet and and hold space for conversations. And staff are very much part of these conversations. And uh, and this is also a nice opportunity to sort of uh, bring in what goes on that week in the in the well-being course. Uh, any event that occurred in the college, any events that have occurred in the world, and then using sort of the political lens or the feminist lens or a well-being lens to unpack uh, those things. And 
uh, I think students find it really valuable and adults actually, the staff also find it very valuable to be able to sort of draw those connections and see how this sort of is, is, is affects all areas of our life and affects teachers as much as it affects students and, and how we're all sort of keeping up and coping with just the world and, and things that are going on in the world. So yeah, I, I'm probably not making a lot of sense, but yeah, it's, it's I can't I can't think of a particular uh, program per se or a, an approach per se, but it's a lot of it has to do with just the the community culture that exists within a community like ours, a college like ours. I think we're we're pretty blessed. We've got the the other extreme of it, you know, a very large school, and we have to. It'd be very very easy, and it is. We see it happen in other large schools that they kind of lose that that students get lost <laughs> i think it's the only way you know whereas actually we've worked really really hard to make it still that that that's community school and and that community feel even despite our our large size so we have there's a plethora of of of, of things that we have where student role models for you know from whether it may be student-led forums that are around particular subject areas and careers and then that develops into our younger ones and we also have our we also have support 360 which is our where we're putting students around students and putting care around students but also giving them a space where, where they can go and reach out to other students and the older students act as ambassadors and they can talk to the younger students about various issues and that and then of course it allows then the students to flag anything that's 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 coming up as well as either a trend or a safeguarding with with various students We've got various different whole school age group phases that talk to one another. We've got a student magazine that also bridges the connection between students and teachers because it asks again the questions from the teachers that then get put into this student monthly magazine. And we've also got our girl up groups and various enrichment groups there, as well as our parliamentary groups and prefect groups and community groups. So there's there's all this plethora of thing, things of community that people can be involved in but also more importantly, that we can signpost them, the students too. And I think that that's a real, real key element is that actually when we get students coming to us or where we identifying students with, with particular issue area, we can say, do you know what? We think there's a group there where you could go and get some positive reinforcement from this particular aspect. So look at this, this particular student who is, who has some, we used to, used to, I want to stay away from behavior, but used to used to have present themselves in this particular way. Let's go and have a chat with them. And I'm so used to be able to go and see. And so they were using again that student voice and 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 involving them in something that they that they really, really feel that they're again motivated by that actually this is what's happening with oh, they can be like that, but also it reworks in the other way in that those students are taking responsibility and saying. I really want to help with that situation. I really want, I've seen that happen. I'm not really pleased about that happening within our community. And that's that's another thing, building that community and people, students being able to say, that's not right. I'm going to do something about it in a, in a positive manner. And so it'll change that tact or they'll listen up. And as well, I think part of the part of the world that we're in being in the Middle East, we have these very large family groups. We have these very extended sibling groups and, and various different things where actually they're all looking after each other in a very, very family-centric way. And that's the, that's been something that's been really, really a privilege to, to observe and see because those positive role models are constantly there and constantly being, being, being expected and held accountable. But the same fact is that 
they're, they're also demonstrating how to build that leadership in the younger pupils. So we're building leaders for the future as well. And that's something that's really important. Olivia, any, um, any, thought, any thoughts around building positive role models in, in your environment there? Yeah, look, I think um, we have something called um, in a previous School to Speak Out and Stay Safe program and student ambassadors who um, teach those wellbeing lessons, um, actors, um, conduits, I guess, from student body to teachers, um, and then also um, share and give their own examples of things that they've done, either in the wellbeing space or in leadership or um, in community um, or service leading um, that they have been able to contribute to the community. And the more often we can put them in front of the school body um, in whatever form, the, the more powerful I think um, the learning is from the school body. I think there's only so much they need to see of my head or another teacher's head up in front of them telling them how to do it or how to be. Um, so if they can see how others are, um, they can take a lot away from that. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big advocate for using our school body and the amazing students that we have in front of us. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, lastly, Richard, Angela, any any guidance or advice for schools that, that want to sort of uh, increase yeah. their their sort of positive role model um, yeah, strategies in schools? Yeah, one of the things Nick said resonated and reminded me of um, so, uh, you know, a piece of research I was involved in, and it was about getting peer mentors together um, to to take, a, and it was about behaviour change. It was a, quite a few years ago, it was around smoking, which isn't actually such a big problem, certainly in the UK anymore. But the way that the peer mentors were, um, were brought together was that the entire year group um, sort of nominated who is someone you would speak to if you um you know if, if you wanted some advice or something who who is someone you looked up to so, so there's a few little two or three questions and then from the, so all that that uh, all paper questionnaires were brought together and then it was scored so who which names kept cropping up and then that group of young people were then trained to be the peer mentors but it was a bit different from what we often see because rather than the, the very keen um, sort of, you know, want to be leaders, confident students being, you know, coming forward to be peer mentors, it meant that we got probably the coolest of the cool group and the naughtiest of the naughty group and, and, and the, the most um, sort of swatty of the swat group. So, so we had all these kind of... Um, like leaders within all the tiny little peer groups within year group, they then came together and were trained to be the peer mentors. So it was a very, very diverse group of young people that then were the role models around and then, you know, undertook various activities. Um, and it was it, I, that was all around smoking, but you could do it in, with any sort of um, any topic area. So it, it was, I, I guess it was just a, a kind of, a different way of pulling your role models together from what we very, very commonly see. And it, and it brought in some of the some of the children that probably would never have been chosen to do something like that because they would have been a bit a bit too problematic potentially. Mm -hmm. So um yes, I thought that that was a nice and a bit of a, a different example of of using using students in that way. 
always makes me smile because when I watch the watch these conversations in action between these peer mentors and so always reminds me of the breakfast club <laughs> you always every different character that's in there is and it's and, and actually yeah there's a reason why it's a great film <laughs> brilliant fantastic guys thank you so much that's the uh, end of the conversation now yes it's uh, yeah flown by and um thank you so much for sharing all your insights around well-being not only for students but for, for staff too and looking at safeguarding and especially online safeguarding as well and um yeah it's such a vast vast array of topics you know to, to, to touch on in one hour but um yeah it'd be great to maybe do do a deep dive into to one of those areas more more more, more detail uh, especially around the strategy side of things uh, maybe in a part two discussion but yeah thank you all so much for joining um and yeah looking forward to to, to speaking to you all guys very very soon